Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Drop your shoulders, take a breath, tune into how you feel, because it's time to stretch. I'm Sinead Moore, and this season is here because of the support of Vitabiotics, my season four sponsor. From Pregnacare to WellKid, WellWoman and WellMan, they have a product range to support us throughout every stretch of life. It's episode eight this season is flying by and we have talked a lot about how motherhood is stretching us mentally and emotionally. Last week's episode with Denise, earlier with Ashling Brennan and right at the start with Sinead as she shared the very real and very raw emotions of matrescence. And while I love that we are talking about it, I wanted to also bring you expert sources of support. Time to meet Dr. Johanna Clancy and Dr. Maurice McDonnell, both qualified clinical psychologists and founders of Cradle Psychology. Cradle Psychology is a dedicated support focused on parental well-being, uniquely developed and delivered by clinical psychologists who want to share their knowledge to give you the best possible parenting journey. Dr. Johanna is pregnant with her first baby and navigating the beginning of matrescence, while Dr. Maurice has just had her second and now knows the true limitations mothers have to properly switching off. If you are experiencing any of the issues raised in the episode and are ready to seek support, you can ask your maternity team to link you in with the mental health support service or talk to your GP or public health nurse. I've linked a range of support services for you in the show notes. Maurice and Johanna from The Cradle Psychology, thank you so much for joining me on Stretch Marks Podcast. So I have spoken to so many women about the transition into motherhood, the feelings, the emotions, the adjustments, the self-doubt, the voices that run in our head that can feel very judgmental, whether they are real from other people in our lives or just in our own minds. And I really wanted to also give an episode in this season that maybe offers some salve, some support, some voices that can say, listen, all of this is normal and there are steps that we can do together to help our minds, because I think that there is so much content and support around how to care for baby 
but such little thought to women on how they can actually learn to help their own thoughts. And that is exactly what you do. And you are both two mothers in exactly this stretch at exactly this right time. So you are so welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. We're so excited to be here. We've been listening to you for a long time. So um, it's very exciting to actually be part of it. And I think your podcast is doing all of the things you've just mentioned, even by just existing. So it's it's lovely to be able to contribute a little bit to that. I'm delighted. And also congratulations on your amazing name, because I think cradle is exactly the term that we also need to apply to ourselves. And we forget that because we just are told that we're supposed to just be power women through this phase. Where the name came from, it's that idea of cradling ourselves as mothers, cradling each other as mothers and supporting ourselves and each other through this process in the same way that we put all this energy into supporting our babies and learning how to care for our babies. Actually, we are born and transitioning as mothers too. And so developing ways to care for ourselves um, throughout this process. And it's not just for new mothers, it's throughout our whole journey as mothers and through motherhood and um, that we are continually cradling ourselves and holding ourselves through this. Um, and that's exactly, that's exactly where the name came from, isn't it, Johanna? Yeah, actually, I suppose where it came from, Maurice and I trained together um, when we were becoming clinical psychologists and we've been friends ever since. But we always kind of chatted about, you know, the area of perinatal mental health. But it wasn't until, if it's OK to say, Maurice, yeah. when you were pregnant with your first child that and we were chatting over a string of voice notes and it was COVID time. So there was a lot of kind of chatter about it. And we we're thinking even though Maurice knows all this stuff and has trained in all of it, the experience of actually going through it was so different. And as you're saying, Sinead, she did need to be cradled a little bit. And I think I was able to offer some of that to you, Maurice and kind of normalizing the feelings that you were having and, and really teasing it out and wondering about it. And the more we talked, the more we realized that actually this stuff, this understanding of this huge transition that you're going through physically, emotionally, hormonally, in your identity, it needs to be talked about universally, not just when you realize, actually, I'm really distressed by all this. It needs to be something that we know as we're becoming pregnant, as we're becoming mums. So that's kind of how it started for us. Yeah, and I and I and absolutely I'd agree with that, Johanna. And I think I mean, I'm very lucky in that I have access to lots of clinical psychologist friends um, who I can go to. And I also have my own training and experience that I could draw upon. And I found myself thinking, actually, these these tools and strategies that I'm using every single day in my clinical work, when I'm working with kids, when I'm working with adults, when I'm working with families and all the different areas that we, we, we work in, these are the same tools that I'm finding really helpful to apply um, to apply for myself now. So thinking about things like self-compassion, about um, different kinds of strategies and tools that we use to manage thoughts when they become particularly unhelpful. These are the same things that I'm applying for myself now. So I just wish that everyone knew some of these things. I wish that everyone knew some of these principles um, that could actually really, um, really support us through this transition. Um, and we keep talking about this transition and, um, you know, in doing this work, Johanna and I have been thinking and talking a lot about um, matricence, which is the term used to describe the, the de developmental transition that is um, motherhood. And I think thinking about it like that really helped me, that idea. This isn't just 
you know, one day I wake up and I'm a mother and I'm supposed to know these things. I'm supposed to have all these instincts. Actually, this is a much, much longer process than that. Um, and when we think about it as a developmental process, um, that that really clicked for me because when Johanna and I work with toddlers or when Johanna and I work with adolescents in our work, we we apply so much of our um our, our approach to supporting those people within those stages, we think about, well, what what's their stage of development and how is that impacting upon how they're thinking and how they're feeling and how they're behaving? Um, and so actually, how is how is the the stage of development that I'm at in my motherhood journey? How is that impacting upon how I'm thinking and feeling and developing? So yeah, that's really how Cradle came to be. Um, and that's how the name came to be as well. <laughs> I think the notion yeah. of matrescence is so important now that we are beginning to unravel it and and learn about it and understand it. I think that before we were just expected to, you know, this whole like, oh, it's natural and you are, you know, you're a woman. So when you are pregnant, mm-hmm. you're supposed to naturally just go with it. When the baby comes out, you're now a mother. You're like expected mm-hmm. to just be able to from day one know what you're doing and not appreciate that you have had to go through something that is so transformational at the root of who you are I mean even what we're learning now about how it literally changes our brain and Mm. how we think and how we work that it's not just I'm good at this or I'm bad at this or I'm having a good day or I'm having a bad day or I'm coping or I'm not coping. And it's not just about the baby because there's so many questions on how's the baby sleeping? Is the baby meeting their milestones? Is the baby doing what it's supposed to do in growth and pregnancy and all these things? It's like, am I adjusting? Am I okay with the journey of matrescence? Am I meeting the milestones of matrescence? Um, Am I allowed to feel scared and lost and my identity, not just from a position of like, where's my career? Where's my independence? Where's my spontaneity? But actually my identity, because I don't know who I am anymore, is because I have changed. I have changed. Motherhood changes you chemically, mentally, you know, you are forever changed. And we didn't know that from a, like no doctor tells you it. So if no doctor tells you it, you're just sitting at home in your leggings and your unwashed hair thinking I'm failing at this. Yeah. And I think there's an amazing psychiatrist in the US called Alexandra Sachs. And she talks about matrescence a lot. And as Maurice was saying, she really tones in on when you think about the amount of neural changes, physical changes, hormonal changes that you go through, it really is comparable to adolescence. So think about the teenagers in your life and think about how much slack we cut them, right? That, God, this is such a difficult developmental phase and, oh, they're going to be cranky and they're going to be this and they're going to be that, but they're becoming adults. And we don't expect them to, as you say, naturally just go from being a child to being an adult. We expect it to be a journey for them and a journey in which we really need to look after them and, and give them some time. So I know myself, I'm in, I'm in the middle of my matrescence for the first time. And um, 
my partner, whether he wants it or not, is very familiar with this kind of topic because I'm talking about it so much. And so he knows that sometimes I need to be cut a little bit of slack or I need to be cradled a little bit because I'm trying to figure out who I am going to be in a couple of months and how do I keep the parts of me that I want to keep and also do all the daily practical things. Because this this whole thing goes on in life doesn't stop, right? You still have your job, you still have your responsibilities. And it can be really hard to give the space to yourself to let yourself transition, let yourself go through all of these changes. Um, and I think, you know, Alexander Sachs talks about the importance of talking about your matrescence. And that's what I'm really trying to do. Every time I'm having a day that I'm finding something difficult or I'm finding I'm transitioning, I'm letting people know because in letting them know, A, it might be helpful for the woman beside me who's going through it silently and B, for those around me, they might understand it a little bit more. You know, my parents, they they had me at a time that was totally different. My mum went through a matrescence, but I don't know necessarily that she understood that at the time, but she certainly understands that I'm going through it now. And I think that's a really important message to share to women, just to talk about it. That generational experience can actually be something that can cause some distress, I feel, because sometimes now when modern mothers are talking about their experiences and sharing some of their own psychological challenges, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, the response that they can receive from the generation above with whom they may have generally a very positive relationship with. But sometimes once you become a mother, the relationship with your own mother can be changed Mm. because that response can often be, well, we just got on with it. Well, we didn't, we didn't get to talk about it. We didn't. Sure. We, we just got on with it. Yeah. And and that's an important point, right? Because other people around us, people who love us very much, people who are very close to us, they all have expectations of our matrescence. They all have expectations of what they think it's going to be like for us to become a mum and to bring their grandchild or to bring this new family member into the world. And as much as we might, you know, consciously say, well, I'm doing it a little bit different or I'm set in my ways or I'm, you know, I'm okay with the way I'm doing it. We can't help not but be impacted by that, right? Because it's in our environment. And I think what we kind of say is you can't change the expectations of others. We don't want to do that. So it's really easy to get into the habit of saying, well, no, mom, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my own way. But you still are impacted by it. I think the key thing really is about noticing others' expectations having compassion for yourself within that. So isn't this hard that I'm going through this period and the people around me maybe see it differently? And also being a little bit accepting of that. We also kind of know that, and Maurice, this is your area, I think, of expertise more than me, but we know that parenting is a novel experience. It's new for us. And our brains are very clever. And our our parents' brains, our families' brains, they do the same thing. When we're faced with something new, we go back to the the best memory that we have of it. So you might start noticing the people around you saying, oh, I remember when I was pregnant, I did X, Y, and Z. And so what they're trying to do is bring the only experience that they have to it to your situation. 
And we can't change that. What we know is that if you're someone who can notice that, that this is me bringing my own experience of being parented into the here and now, or this is my family bringing their experience in, then we know we can kind of manage it better and, and navigate it a little bit better. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think in when we've done that, when we've been able to recognize that, okay, um, someone maybe is is bringing their experience to my experience and maybe it's 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 not fitting comfortably or it doesn't feel that comfortable sometimes it's about asking ourselves that question you know how helpful is it going to be for me to really kind of hold this to hold this opinion that I'm or this expectation that this person is bringing to me how helpful is it going to for me going to be for me to hold on to that quite tightly and if it's something that maybe isn't going to be that helpful for us it's about giving ourselves permission to have that there, but maybe choose to disengage from it. So choose to kind of put our focus and our attention somewhere else if if we're if we're receiving something that isn't going to be um particularly helpful or valuable to our own experience. Because like Johanna said, we can't necessarily change um how other people are going to view our matrescence or going to um you know approach our matrescence. All we can um all we can do is try to manage our own response to that. Um, I think the other thing there, as Johanna was saying, talking about armatrescence is there's huge value in that. And I think talking not just to other mothers about it, because I think we're getting better at that. We're getting better at talking to other mothers about the messiness of the whole experience and the complexity of the whole experience. Um, like podcasts like this are so valuable in doing that. I think there's so much scope now on social media for some of that really important sharing to happen. But I think that there's also value from a societal level of actually pushing it beyond that. So pushing that, pushing our understanding um, of how complex this experience is beyond just those who are about to become mothers who are, or who are mothers already and talking about it at a wider societal level. And um, like we all know what adolescence is, whether or not we are at that stage ourselves at the moment. So it's about how can we get matrescence to be that widely understood so that everyone can give that level of understanding and compassion and care from others within our society. Because I feel like when we are, when we do meet that response of, well, sure, we just got on with it and we didn't mm -hmm. have anyone to talk to. And, you know, when you're met with with that kind of, uh, response and I'm asking this because it has come up a lot when I'm looking through the DMs when it comes through kind of judgment or criticism or why do you feel like you might be failing sometimes it can be that projection from others around you who used to cradle you see this is they who used to mother you but now that you're the mother there's this kind of like well just get on with it like we did that it can really make you feel like you now have to push through. And if you are meeting challenge, that there's something wrong with you because of it. Instead of, like, if everybody else just got on with it, why can't I just get on with it? And that can yeah. create, like, can perpetuate the problem because it can be quite silencing. Yeah, absolutely. And quite isolating um, in feeling that here I am struggling to navigate this. And yet, but yet we know that the we we know that the lived experience and the lived reality for most people is that messiness, is that complexity, and is that challenge. And I mean, we have to embed this within a cultural understanding and the culture that our 
our parents maybe or that other generations lived in um there there wasn't that permission to maybe even explore for themselves the bits of it that felt messy or that felt challenging or felt hard and so maybe part of that getting on with it was um was uh, maybe not having an opportunity or not even being able to give yourself an opportunity to explore whether this is difficult or not and now where we are culturally we're we're hopefully opening the door more to be able to to tune into some of that to be able to tune into some of our internal experience of motherhood and of parenthood in a way that means that I suppose we're opening up the vulnerability a little bit more which means that we're going to be noticing how it's challenging more um I mean the other thing is that I think the expectations that are we have now societally and culturally of mothers is quite different. We, I mean, there's a there's a, a term called, uh, I think it's called intensive mothering, but it's around this idea that the way that we're expected to mother now, we're expected to be 100% responsive to all of our child's needs all the time to provide them with all of the scaffolding that they need to be able to thrive in the world, um, you know, to give them all the best in terms of education and in terms of um, nutrition and uh, all of the other things that they need and and also to kind of entertain them all the time. There's this idea that if you're at home with your child, you know, you should be playing with them and you should be tuned into them and you should be attuned to them at all times. And I mean, how realistic is that really? It's 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 not. It's really, really um, it's a huge, huge expectation that I think we have of mothers now that I don't know necessarily um if that level of expectation was always there. Certainly when we think of the type of responsive parenting that look, I mean, Johanna and I are psychologists and we we talk to parents all the time about um responding to their child's needs and how important that is and how crucial that is for for a child's development but we also say very clearly that you are not expected to it's not realistic to expect yourself to be able to do that in a perfect way 100 of that of the time not only is it not realistic but actually it's not that's not necessary it's not necessary that we're um, attuned to our child and responding to them in a really really sensitive and um you know uh really really attuned way all of the time and Johanna I think you always put this really nicely when you talk about that rupture and repair piece that's really important yeah, well, I suppose what what I say to parents that I meet is, you know, if you if you are that perfect mother, right, and you read all the books and you discover that you have to do X, Y, and Z to to develop a really sp- strong bond with your baby, and you never get angry in front of them, and you never get it wrong, and you never let your partner get it wrong, and so this baby has been raised just being responded to perfectly all the time but they'd probably end up growing up to be a little bit odd right where when they get to their adult or their teenage years and they meet other children who've grown up in a house where people do get it wrong sometimes they're not going to be able to cope that actually there's huge learning from us for us in understanding relationships in just having that having that repair piece and so you know I always like to say it's it's not as important that you're getting it right all the time or, or that you're being perfectly responsive. It's it's how you can reflect inwardly after the moment and say, OK, I need to repair this here now with my child. Mm-hmm. I need to model that it's OK not to get it right all the time. 
because they're not going to get it right all the time. Mm. And that's so important. You know, when I hear mothers saying, you know, my little one, you know, had a huge outburst and then they apologized to me, I think, okay, well, you've done really well at teaching them about repair. And that starts really, really early on. And I think we also have to learn about repair with ourselves too. Like I'm I'm thinking as you were talking, Reese, about the difference in societal norms between maybe our parents' generation and now. But the similarity was, yes, maybe the attitude then was you just need to get on with it. But there was self-criticism in not getting on with it, right? And self-criticism, that fuels shame. Now the self-criticism is not getting it right, not being not being attuned enough, not being the good enough parent. And I think a lot of that comes down to the amount of information there is out there now, but also how easy it is to compare yourself to others, right? To, to compare and despair. You're seeing a lot of per- perfect parenting online. And I think if there's one thing that we can teach mums, it's about the idea of tuning into that self-critical voice that your mother maybe had and your grandmother and, and so on and and recognizing that and repairing with yourself, right? I got it wrong there. I was really stressed. I've been up all night with my baby and I shouted and I feel bad. But wasn't it so hard that I got to the stage that I was so stressed that I had to shout? I mean, isn't that such a lovely way of seeing it rather than thinking I really did badly there, you know? Especially, and as you were talking, Maurice, about that, all the expectations about meeting their needs so consistently, so constantly, so perfectly. Also with this cultural expectation to still climb whatever corporate ladder, career ladder you're on, to not let any of your, you know, whether that's from an expectation upon you or a necessity because of the cost of living situation, not being able to access childcare support, which we, you know, which I, I believe paid childcare is now our modern day village. That is our village of support because we don't have neighborhoods that, you know, swoop in and we all care for our children together. They're called crashes <laughs> or child mining yeah, situations. Right. That's where our babies are all minded together, but we just have to pay a hefty fee for it. And, mm. and even our homes, how we look, how we dress, how we're styling our kids, how clean our white marble countertops are all the time. We're constantly bombarded with what it looks like to be good enough. And in those early days of motherhood, when our brains are probably lying to us a little or a lot, maybe a a lot, I can see how we can fall into what I want to talk about now, which is those thinking traps, those constant messages being reinforced to us that something is not right we are we are failing we are drowning we are not capable we are not we know we're we're used to the model of like studying really hard and passing the exam whereas every single day no matter how hard we try we can still face these feelings and that can teach our brains at such a vulnerable time to continue to loop in I can't do this I can't do this I can't do this absolutely I think you've touched on something really important I mean 
uh, for your first point, this is it. I mean, the way that we're expected to not only parent now, but to do all the other things in our lives. There's 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 really high expectations that we may have ourselves or just things that we we want to do in our lives that beyond parenting that are really important and that really align with our values um, for ourselves. And so we're trying to make space for ourselves in that as well as navigating this new identity that we have as a parent and making room for all of that can feel really overwhelming and can feel really challenging. And like you said, all of that, um, as well as the fact, and you touched on it earlier, Sinead, our brains, when we experience, you know, when we experience motherhood and when this happens, when we experience motherhood for the first time and each subsequent time after that, our brain goes through this this really significant neural reorganization where there's so much change happening. And the I mean, the research, it's very early days in terms of how we're understanding this. But every paper that comes out, we're understanding just even more and more how significant this change is in terms of what's happening to our brain. And um, I guess what we understand now is that the way that our brain is changing, it's putting us into this place of increased kind of hypervigilance, increased awareness and sensitivity to threat or danger. And that's really important. You know, as far as the researchers understand, the reason that's happening is to allow us to adapt to better care for and meet the demands of our baby. So that's really important from that point of view. But the other side of that is that it's leaving in this place that us in this place that we are very, very vulnerable to falling into some of what we call these thinking traps. So when when we talk about thinking traps in psychology, what we're talking about is these automatic um thinking patterns that show up for us. And when we say automatic, we mean they can show up so quickly and so frequently that it's almost just a little bit under our radar. So we're not necessarily recognizing each time it happens. Um, And there are a number of types of thinking patterns or thinking traps that seem to show up pretty much universally for most people. Certainly, I think within our society, um, there are particular ones that seem to be almost universal. So Johanna touched on one earlier, that idea of comparing ourselves with other people and then despairing at the fact that, you know, we feel that we're not necessarily living up to whatever that um, that comparison is. Um, another one is catastrophizing. So catastrophizing. So when we think about the worst thing that could possibly happen. So I think we can all, I mean, I've definitely had this experience when, you know, my husband takes my toddler out to, to Tesco to do the weekly shop on a Saturday morning, and if they're even 10 minutes late coming home, my mind has gone to this awful, awful thing that has happened to them. Um, And so I suppose we're always, as humans, vulnerable to these types of thinking traps, all of us, (laughs) at any given time. It's the way our brain has evolved, and it has important functions. But I suppose in today's modern world, it can mean that we're seeing threat where maybe there actually isn't any threat there. When we become mothers, we're even more vulnerable to experiencing those thinking traps. We're even more vulnerable to falling into them. And like you said, Sinead, the way um, 
because we can feel maybe a little bit isolated in that or maybe we feel like we're the only one experiencing these types of thoughts that can further reinforce them and strengthen them and we can become really attached to these thoughts and we can um we can get really wrapped up in them so that they're actually really interfering with not only the way we think but also the way we feel about ourselves the way we're behaving in our day-to-day the way that we're able to interact with those around us so it can have a really massive effect um, Johanna and I find in our work with with expectant mums or with new mums, mums that really naming those thinking traps and naming those thinking patterns can be really powerful, powerful and can feel really validating for people to know that actually, firstly, you know, you're not the only one experiencing this, but also naming it is actually the first um is the first step towards kind of taking the power out of it, taking the intensity out of those thoughts and being able to create a bit of distance to be able to look and say, oh, you know, I'm experiencing a lot of catastrophe. That, that catastrophizing thing is happening again. This, this catastrophizing thing is happening again and again. I'm really familiar with this story. And actually it doesn't, it doesn't do a huge amount to help me. So what can I do with that? Um, I've named only kind of a number of them there, but there's 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 lots of other thinking gaps that we can all um fall into equally. I feel like am I you're the experts, but is it a case, I wonder, that because you're in such transformation and you're so open to molding this new version of yourself because it's as brand new as your baby is, that if you do fall into these thinking traps and they do go unattended to for a long time, that they do ingrain themselves on this new version of yourself, your new identity of yourself because you are a blank page. And if these thinking traps become so frequent and so loud that it begins a journey, it begins like your whole motherhood journey. We're going to be mothers till our kids are adults mm-hmm. and they have kids. Like, But it, it becomes so much part of how you now feel about yourself in the version of who you are now forever. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I mean, sorry, Johanna, you go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Well, what I was going to say was, I think if we don't recognize them as that, Mm -hmm. we don't recognize I'm falling victim here to a thinking trap. Actually, we can associate them a lot more as shameful thoughts, shameful feelings that we shouldn't share because it means something bad about us, right? And I think when we feel ashamed of something, it's more likely to embed itself, as you say, Sinead, into that new version of us and we don't want to admit it. So I think as Marisa is saying, by naming them, we do kind of tame them a little bit. One of the others that, that comes up a lot and I, I'm actually noticing it a lot myself. So we really try to identify to the women that we work with when we experience them right because it's easier for us to say than for someone to try and pull it out so a lot one that comes up for me a lot at the moment is that I should I must and I think that's Mm. a real prenatal one I should be keeping going I should be still on my way and I think what happens there is if I get really sciencey about it right that we've we've got a couple of different um kind of we call them circles or they're kind of systems that we have in our brain we have threat which we've talked about a lot already we also have two others we have a soothe system which is when we're feeling calm and relaxed and and you know safe and we also have a drive system so that's what got us out of bed this morning the three of us here as we're chatting we're probably in drive at the moment right we're, we're feeling driven we're energetic we're motivated and what can happen to us is those threat thoughts, which are the thinking traps, right? 
when they interact with us in drive mode, it can actually drive us to keep acting within the thinking thoughts. So as Maurice is describing earlier, that catastrophizing. So her drive mode will kick in and she'll think, I need to ring my partner. I need Mm -hmm. to check that everything's okay. I need to stay up. I need to stay awake. And so we actually start doing and behaving like and becoming what our what our thinking traps are kind of catching us to do. Does that make sense? So they become part of us because our body thinks, our mind thinks actually we're being adaptive here, that it thinks we're doing the right thing to keep us and to keep our baby safe. And unless we notice that maybe as, mm-hmm. as something external to us, it can be really hard to escape them. Stretched much? Yeah, me too. I can't avoid the parts of life that deplete me. In fact, I adore most of them like my children and my work. So I'm leaning into discovering how I can best support my energy, my nutritional needs and my well-being for the long term with Well Woman. With vitamins B6, B12 and iron, which contributes to normal energy release, Well Woman safeguards and supports our nutritional needs. This supplement range includes options for vegans and vegetarians, women age 50 plus, or if you are engaging in sports, there's a Well Woman product for us all. With 50 years of innovation in nutritional science, Vitabiotics has been pushing boundaries to help our families feel at their best. With products to suit all stages from preconception, pregnancy, postpartum and family life, with PregnaCare, WellKid, WellWoman and WellMan, Vitabiotics have created a product to suit every stretch of family life. Vitabiotics want to look after you through their supplemental range and by supporting this season of Stretch Marks. Food supplements must not replace a varied and balanced diet and a healthy lifestyle. And you should always consult your doctor or pharmacist before using. And then when we re-enter normal life as, you know, as we're expected to. So we're supposed to then go back to our social circles. We're supposed to go back to our workplace. We're supposed to go back to whatever functions we provided from a non-maternal perspective, we're bringing those thinking traps with us. So, Mm. you know, if you are experiencing them in a really strong, powerful way in those early days of matrescence, will will they also come with you on those first days back to work? And, And you're no longer feeling like the version of you that you were in work because you are now worrying about things that you never, ever thought about before. Sure. Changed. Yeah. And because like Johanna said, sometimes, you know, our threat system can become activated and our threat system should become activated at certain times of all of our days. So, I mean, ideally, we're going to cycle between and the, the model that Johanna is talking about there, the three circle model, it's, it's something we use a huge amount. It comes from an approach called compassion focused therapy. We find it's really applicable um, for all of the mothers that we work with. But so ideally, we're going to cycle throughout our day between threat, between drive, between soothe. OK, so I might wake up in the morning and if I wake up a few minutes late, my alarm clock doesn't go off. I might wake up and very quickly go into that threat system. But what I should be able to do is I should be able to activate, to do something to activate my my drive system. So maybe I'll get up and get dressed and I'll catch up with my day. And then I might get into the car and I might turn on a podcast that I really enjoy, my Stretch Mars podcast. And it might that mm-hmm. might put me back into my soothe system. So I've been able to cycle from threat into drive and then back into soothe and then something else that might happen a number of times throughout my day I suppose what can happen for us if those thinking traps really really catch us 
they really catch us. And it's almost like, like if you imagine, um, you know, I put this piece of paper up in front of my face, like that's how close these thoughts have become. They're taking over my whole, I can't even really interact with you here because these thoughts are so up in front of my face. That's when actually we can get stuck in that threat mode. We can get stuck in that kind of hypervigilant, um, uh, quite threatened, quite anxious, quite, um, you know, danger focused, danger oriented place. And absolutely, then that can seep into lots of other situations. So I suppose what a lot of the work that Johanna and I do is supporting people to identify how to tap into their soothe system, how to tap into, um, how to kind of what and that's going to look very different for each individual person so a lot of the work that we do is and we do this a lot with expectant mothers we support people to think about okay even before before you have your baby before you go into the really deep kind of um the deep depths of matrescence what do you know now about your own nervous system what do you know about your threat mode what are the triggers that seem to activate your threat mode, whether that's um, particular interactions you have with other people, whether that's parts of the sensory worlds, like particular, um, you know, noises or particular, you know, whatever it is, particular lights or whatever it is. Um, what can we learn about that now? Because probably it's going to be similar things that might trigger you after you have your baby. There may be additional things, there may be modifications is probably going to be a similar kind of repertoire of things and what do we know about your soothe mode what helps you to get back into soothe what types of interactions what type of touch what types of um environmental stimuli what types of activities help you to get back into that soothe mode and we really really encourage people to look at that in a really comprehensive way even before they have their baby but certainly it's also something that we'd encourage people to do at any point in their parenthood to really map out what it is for them. Because you might be surprised, you know, some people, you know, find that actually, do you know what, I didn't even realise, but sometimes, um, you know, just when, you know, my husband maybe rubs rubs my arm, actually that really helps to, that really helps to settle me, that really helps to soothe my system. Um, sometimes if I just turn off the lights, that just helps. It just helps me to feel like there's there's kind of less stimuli interfering with my with my system. So it's a really, really useful exercise. And I suppose that can help us to um yeah, to tap back into that mode so that we're not bringing it with us throughout our day. I hope that answers that. Yeah, like I'm I'm now applying it to myself and my own life. <laughs> um I wouldn't classify myself necessarily as a very anxious mother. Um, I don't think I'm, yeah, I, 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 I've, I feel like my journey, like I've always, I think there's a, there's always a spectrum of, okay, I'm worried about this or I'm scared of this or, or they fell off a bike and there was, you know, a, a an accident today. So I'm carrying that. So there's always the, the normal life part of it, but I wouldn't probably classify myself. I wouldn't be like, I am an anxious mother. I'm, I'm not okay. attaching it to my identity. And yet when you were talking there about, you know, tapping back into your soothe place, it's like, I don't think in the last six years I have ever felt in a soothed place. I, I, I'm like yeah. that, the way you use that language, I just immediately had this clarity of like, I have never been there. Yeah. In, in all of these years, I have never been there and and or 
I think actually the only time that I might have been there, which might be counterintuitive because you might think to get to your soothed place, you should be away from your children. You should be doing something completely by yourself. Probably my closest thing to soothed was when my baby would be very small and asleep on me. Mm. That, that was my like, okay, everything is safe. Everything is well. And we're just in bed together. That's what it is. It's that sense of safety. And that doesn't necessarily need to look like, you know, because we talk a, a lot about treatment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't need to be those big things. For most of us as mothers, it's not going to be those big things. There isn't a whole lot of room for that. So it's about finding. And I think that's really important. Johanna, you talk a lot about this. It's finding those micro moments during your day that help you to tap into soothe. And probably, like you said, you, you might be having those, but you mightn't where you mightn't be benefiting from it as much is by not actually tapping into it and recognizing and tuning into the fact that this is a moment. This is a moment where I feel, you use the word there, Sinead, and it's gorgeous. I feel safe, like there's safety in this moment. Sometimes it's sitting down, having a cup of tea. Sometimes it, it, for me, it really is things like sitting in the car, listening to a podcast, or for me, it's socializing. Actually being out with the girls, I feel a lot of soothe in that. And that's not necessarily the things. It's not the spa treatment. It's not the getting the massage. It's it's the the moments in our life that actually help us to feel kind of contained and safe. And as though, um, you know, there's a contentment in it, I suppose. It's about recognizing the points in your day, those micro moments, as we talk about, when you feel safe and feel soothed. And that doesn't necessarily need to be taking half an hour to go have a bath it can be Mm. those smaller moments and that's so important but I think the trap that we fall into as mums is that we go between that threat mode I need to make sure everyone's safe I need to make sure that I'm being the good enough mum and that drive mode so I need to keep going I need to show that I'm working and then there's no space for us to actually be soothed so those two that that drive and threat they really come together and I think particularly in today's society when we're trying to prove that we can do it all that we can be a mother and we can have a career and we can keep up and we can look great and we can feel great it's hard to get out of those two modes when we place those expectations on ourselves societally you know and that's the the tricky thing the exact example that I gave of my safe place my soothed place was when my child was asleep on me I had to fight that on my first I completely accepted it on my second I leaned so much into it on my second on my first I really had to fight the thinking trap of productivity and don't let the baby sleep in your arms and you know, not I, I don't obviously subscribe to the you, you know you're spoiling your baby I was not but I still there was some legacy in my mind of this is your window to do put that baby down get the baby into the cot don't let them sleep on you because you this is your window to clean the house or have your shower or get dressed or get ready or organize you know the 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 nappy changing bags so that you can get straight out the door as soon as the baby wakes up just frenzied and really my safe place was just holding my baby lying down letting them sleep on me feeling that like no like just switch off just try not to have a phone or a tv just actually rest my own mind while my baby was resting and I didn't do it enough on my first because of all of those things that thinking trap that kept running in the background as though it was a waste of time as though I would now arrive at the end of the day and I wouldn't have accomplished anything because I did just hold my baby all day. 
And on my second, really, it was because she came six months, seven months into the lockdown that we had evolved as a culture and that I was now permitted to do nothing, to go nowhere, to not have to see anyone, to not have to be dressed, to not have to have the place ready for visitors. I could just hold her without that thinking trap running in my psyche, ruining the rest opportunity. And the benefit was just immense. I just melted into it. And I just wish if I could do one thing different, it would be to go back to my first and allow myself to enter that safe, soothed place without that narrative in my head. We have internalized, many of us, these messages from society for so long about motherhood and about what you do and about what you don't do, that it shows up. And that's how it shows up in those automatic ways, in those thinking um, those thinking patterns that you've identified there, Sinead. So what we always um, want to support moms to do is to, like we say, to recognize that, to recognize that this is a thinking trap. This is your brain. It's on. It's doing the thing that it's supposed to do, that it's evolved to do. It thinks it's helping you. It thinks it's keeping you safe. It thinks it's doing the thing that it's meant to be doing. But actually, is it helpful? And is thinking that, you know, I shouldn't be sitting, I shouldn't be holding my baby to sleep. Is that a helpful thought? Or is it actually causing you more distress? It's causing moms more distress. You know, we we support women to identify gentle strategies that can help to kind of move them out of that in those moments if those thoughts are creeping in that I didn't do enough of this or I'm or I have my baby on my chest and I'm not enjoying it because I feel I should be doing or I must be doing just to let that come and to notice those thoughts there's there's a thing we talk about a lot which is called cognitive diffusion okay and cognitive diffusion is the idea that we can get very hooked on the emotions behind thoughts so we can't stop ourselves having particular thoughts they're going to come naturally we we haven't figured a way to block thoughts from coming yet but what we can do is we can work on the belief we hold behind those thoughts and also we can work on the power of the emotion behind it right so if i am holding my baby on my chest and I'm thinking I'm really enjoying this but I haven't done any laundry yet today and that makes me a bad mom because tomorrow the baby is not going to have x y and z if if we what what feeling do you get well when I think of that I might be starting to feel shame or feel anxiety about the next day and so what we try to say is you need to work on getting a little bit of distance from that so a really simple exercise when those self-critic thoughts come in is to get some space for it by doing something like this. I'm having the thought that I'm a bad parent for not doing the laundry. And when you say it like that and you think about it, you think, isn't that crazy that I am believing that actually when this is just a thought? That thought is not a fact. And I am going through a really difficult transition in my life. And on top of that, my tricky brain is giving me the thought that I'm not a good enough mother because I'm not doing the laundry. And something as simple as that in those moments is enough to get you out of those thinking traps. And I practice that a lot. I have to say it's hard sometimes. The thinking trap can be powerful, but I really consciously do it. I say it out loud, actually. And when I say it out loud often, as I just did there, wasn't it so monumentally silly to be thinking that about the laundry? Um, you know, so I think that's a really helpful strategy for people to to engage in when they get stuck that way. Oh, that's such a good one already. I can feel my 
cortisol lowering from all the things that you just the little things just seep in and you just really do attach to them and they become so loud but when you do say them you're just like that is just ridiculous it's ridiculous that's what we always say it's not the thought. The thought isn't the problem. The thought is just your brain. The, all the thoughts that fly around is just your brain doing the thing, doing its problem solving thing, doing its, you know, trying to do this protective thing by shooting every possible possibility at you um, to try to keep you safe and to try, you know, it's there. that's not the problem. It's the it's the attachment to them. It's the way that we get so caught up. And like Johanna said, the way that we get hooked on them, that's where we see, that's where we see the problems. You know, that's where we see people running into difficulty such good advice and I did ask on Instagram for some questions so that we can continue that shared sharing of advice I think sometimes women can might feel intimidated about engaging in your services and feeling like oh gosh does this mean there's something wrong where really what I want this conversation to do is to acknowledge all the ways that we're feeling all of the things and that they are all really normal to feel and just as we would take ourselves off to the dentist long before there might we might need a root canal, we should also be minding our minds through this process and engaging in your work, whether it is in kind of the workshops, which might feel a little bit more invitational than one-to-ones or just consuming your content, learning and recognizing in ourselves when actually we might be dipping a little far into a problem and out of the territory of safety is so important. And some of the questions that came through, of course, we can't answer in any type of clinical detail um, because you would need to know who these people are and their backgrounds and their situations. They are just questions that have come through on Instagram. But I selected a few that were recurring, general themes that kind of were coming up a lot. And I recognize myself in them too. It might not have been all the time, but definitely on any given day over the last six years, you, this may have come up. Um, one in particular, it's everything I wanted, but I worry I'm not enjoying it like I should be. Now, I hear that from the podcast and on the community and the polls a lot, particularly actually from anybody who might have experienced any kind of fertility challenges, that there was so much kind of looking forward to this moment without perhaps any of the preparation for actually how difficult the reality is. Absolutely, Sinead. I think that, like you said, that's really, I think, relatable for many of us because, I mean, there's there's kind of two things there. So let's just take the first piece, which is the maybe the expectation not matching up with the reality, the lived experience. And I suppose for all of us, and like you said, particularly maybe for those who have been on a particularly long journey towards motherhood but for all of us there's a journey towards motherhood that takes a particular amount of time from the moment that we first think about becoming mothers to the moment when we have our baby um like through all of that time we're going to be thinking we're going to be imagining we're going to be just through human nature developing I guess fantasies around what this might look like And for many of us, I suppose those fantasies tend to be embedded in the cultural narratives and societal narratives around motherhood that we've all been taking on for all of our lives, essentially. I mean, we all have experiences of being parented ourselves, but we also have um, exposure to lots of narratives within the media of motherhood and of 
parenthood. And what we notice is that they tend to be depictions at the kind of extreme ends. So either de- the depiction of this kind of idealized, warm, um, warm demonstration of motherhood that we can even see in like nappy ads um, or the total other side where you're you're seeing this depiction of this kind of stressed and frazzled and exhausted and kind of haggard mother. So they tend to be the extreme ends of this, the, the spectrum. And for most of us, the reality of motherhood is really somewhere in the middle of that, where there's there's joyful and there's positive moments. And then there's really challenging moments. And then there's all the day to day stuff, which is in between. And can actually there's like a sense of kind of mundanity to it or a sense of monotony to it or just relentlessness or all of the demand and the change that it might bring to our relationships and the change that it might bring to um, how we see ourselves in our day to day life. I suppose there's a real kind of messiness and complexity to that that I don't think any of us can envision when we're thinking about and imagining what motherhood will be like. So that difference between expectation and reality, that in itself, when someone comes to Johanna or myself um, and, and names that, we would say, yeah, that sounds absolutely normal that sounds really typical and expected it's difficult and it can be disappointing and it can be distressing but it 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 sounds really normal where we can get caught into problems I guess is the other part of that that sense of I worry that I'm not enjoying it as I should and that's where we can like we can hear that thinking trap that we've talked about we're actually we're having this experience but then our mind is beating us up about this experience. Mm-hmm. That self-critical part is, and I can I can hear what you know, I, and I know what might be happening there is that sense of you know you should be enjoying this. You waited so long for this. This is everything you wanted. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you that you're not enjoying this more? You, why is this happening? And so that's where when we get caught up in those thoughts, actually, that's where the distress comes. And that's where the shame or the guilt or the um, even anger can come in, where if we can stay with the experience itself, if we can stay with the experience of, okay, this this reality is not really matching up to the expectation I had. We're in a much better place to kind of approach that with a sense of curiosity and a sense Mm -hmm. of openness to be able to, to, to wonder about it, to say, okay, well, what parts of it feel different? And maybe some of those parts are things that could potentially be be modified. Are they? Is it that you know? Um, is the level of support that I'm getting not maybe what I had anticipated that I would get? Um, is are my opportunities to kind of care for myself not what I thought that they might be? Or maybe they're just parts that can't be changed. Maybe it's just that absolute relentlessness of having a baby and all those needs that we have to meet. But if we can stay with that that experience in itself and be open and curious about it, then we can bring compassion to that and we can name that and we can say, that's really hard. I wonder if anyone else is feeling like this um, because undoubtedly they are. But when we go, in order to do that, we need to recognize that our mind is going to try and bring us into that next part, which is the beating ourselves up about it part. That's where our mind is going to try and go. And that's where we need to say, hang on a second, before I start letting this self-critic in my mind beat myself up about this, let me come back to the experience itself. I, does that here's, yeah, and here's one that's exactly that beating themselves up thing, because instead of the compassion, I can even feel it in the question that the person is now attaching blame somehow. So the question was, Worried about impact of PND on child's attachment long term. Any advice? And like that, you're saying, like, I can hear what you just said there reflected in that 
question already they're like there's something wrong with me but is it going to affect my child instead of I need to be cared through this I mean we've talked about this earlier actually this idea that we now have so much access to information and we read so much and we we prepare so much and I think we can really get hooked on that anxiety about what will our own stuff do to our child right and and feeling feeling really shame for that so I suppose to 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 start off with the research on you know so most people have read about postnatal depression most people have read about attachment and bonding and of course there can be anxiety about the combination of the two you know will my mood impact on my my connection with my baby we know that from all of the most recent research that actually it's a really really complex landscape actually that it's not a equals b um and that really importantly for for people who are experiencing mood difficulties or who are experiencing emotional difficulties it's the time that is spent caring for your baby and the the time that is spent with your baby actually that counts for a lot of it so we try to say to parents not to get too bogged down to that piece around wondering what we are doing. So asking that question alone, asking, you know, will my mood or will my own mental health impact my baby? That shows me a mother actually who is incredibly attuned to their child because they're thinking about it. And in naming it alone and thinking it and asking that question, that shows me a caring, nurturing parent. And I hope that's reassuring to anyone who has that thought. And I guess, you know, we we talk a lot about how we can get very threat-based. We've mentioned that earlier on. And it's about trying to get some separateness from that thought. I'm having the thought that my mood might impact my baby and the reality of it, which is actually, well, what did I do today for my baby? I cared for them. I fed them. I played with them. I got them out of the house for a walk. I did all of that, even though I'm having those thoughts and Mm -hmm. trying to bring some self-compassion to that, that you are doing enough by doing just that. Do you think that answers it, Maurice, or is there anything else to add? Absolutely, and I suppose the only other thing uh, to mention is that we talk a lot um, in our work with mothers about this idea, and it's a very um, kind of classic psychological idea of the good enough parent and about how just being good enough and just meeting our child's needs as much as 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 we can is is generally more than sufficient to create you know well-adjusted and very and 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 kind of capable adults so it's you know we can become really really um and again I think this goes back to this like the type of parenting that I think we feel expected maybe to perform now which is which is just so incredibly demanding and and certainly isn't realistic for me in my life and in my world parenting. Um, so I, I I would assume it's not realistic for many of us. So it's just, I guess, that, that just that good enough parenting that is enough, that's more than enough. And looking after yourself, especially when you're experiencing any type of mood or emotional difficulties, literally is the very, very best thing that you can do for your family, for your child, is to prioritize your own needs within that. Um, I know Gabor Mate, he was, you know, and he he's kind of child development expert, and he was once asked that, what's the one thing, if you could give me advice about it, what is the one best thing I could do for my child? And he said, looking after yourself. Oh, because it's amazing. my favorite. 
I was going to say, Sinead, my, my, my favorite statistic in all of psychology comes from decades and decades of research on attachment. Um, and there's an amazing psychologist. His name is Donald, Donald Winnicott. And decades and decades ago, he was the first person to kind of bring up the idea of the good enough mother. Um, and it's stuck. There's been years of research into attachment and bonding with baby. And what the research has found, which is incredibly reassuring, is that if we are meeting our baby's needs 30% of the time, that is enough for a positive outcome. And isn't that just so reassuring that that is years, the majority of a century of research has found that across cultures, across contexts, that if we are providing that good enough care, as Marie says, just a third of the time, we are doing enough. And the rest of the time, we might need to spend some of that energy caring for ourselves, caring for our own mood. Which might have answered the the last question that I will squeeze in here, which is that I am so in love, but I am so down. No energy, motivation. I'm cranky and fighting with partner. Yeah, I mean, I think that really speaks to the that kind of dual experience that we can have as mothers, which is that we can experience this real intensity of love and care and at the same time feel all of these other emotions that can also feel quite intense. And, you know, we talk sometimes about maternal ambivalence and how those these two um, seemingly conflicted, conflicting experiences can be so true at once. Um you know, we've talked about matrescence, we've talked about that transition developmental stage and just how complicated and how messy that is, how much our brain is changing um, structurally and functionally and the impact that that is so likely to have on all of our emotional and cognitive experiences means that, you know, it's very likely that we're going to experience this whole range of different um different emotional responses some of which may be particularly challenging and distressing and I suppose to caveat all of these responses like Johanna and I would always say and I know you flagged it at the start I guess when it comes to support around perinatal mental health sometimes the naming it we know can be the most difficult part and um, so I think there's such power in being able to 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 kind of talk about these things in this forum but there are supports out there where people feel that actually these emotional experiences, while they're, you know, like we say, they're so normal, they're so understandable, they're so valid. If they're interfering to a significant degree in degree in someone's everyday life, if they're making life feel much, much harder than it needs to be, then, you know, that's absolutely something to name to a healthcare professional to seek that support around. And those supports are available within within our health service um, from perinatal mental health teams. And that's not speaking to any, you know, individual question. That's just generally, I suppose, for any of these people um, linking in with you that where where these difficulties feel like they're getting in the way of you being able to enjoy your life and to be able to enjoy motherhood. Um, it is absolutely, you have the right to seek support. You don't need to stay trying to push through. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing to say about that is that all of the questions you've just raised with us, Sinead, these are things that we have heard so many times 
before. And if you talk to a professional, like a psychologist or your PHN or your GP, they'll have heard it all before because this stuff, these thoughts, these experiences are normal and they're part of the process of matrescence. You know, so don't be afraid to look for support. Don't be afraid to name it or don't be afraid to say, I don't think that I can get through this by myself because in naming it, you are just doing what hundreds, thousands of women in Ireland recognize every day, you know. And again, as I said, you're, the professionals will have heard it before and they won't think you're a lesser mom for experiencing it. Probably the opposite. They'll think, aren't you showing so much care for your baby that you're seeking this support in the first place? And by showing your baby how to name your problem and how to seek support for your problem and how to move through towards solution for your problem as they grow up, they will also mimic those steps and do that for themselves as adults instead of feeling also like they just got to push through. Yeah, absolutely. So it's modeling in a whole new generational way. Like we, yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And if and if you bring it back to that earlier kind of point that you started on, Sinead, about the difference in expectations from one generation to the next, wouldn't it be amazing if when our children are having children that we're not saying just get on with it, that we're saying, yeah, that was really, really hard. And I know you must be going through that. And these are the things that helped me. Mm. I think that would be such a, a huge, incredible shift for us in society if this stuff does stick and it does become the norm down the line. You know, that's when we'll know we'll have really made a difference. I do think it's happening. I think the tide is turning. I think we are a much more open generation of women who are identifying what is very real and experienced. And how could it not be? You know, how could we not be feeling these things when you actually consider yeah. how our lives are changing and evolving and under such pressure all the time? How could we not be experiencing these things? But we no longer have to put up with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for doing your work. Thank you for coming doctors in this particular area so that you can offer such expert support and really help people to move towards a feeling of safety throughout this journey and to just enjoy it, just enjoy it that bit more. You know, we don't need to stay in these thought patterns that are preventing us from reaching a level of love or enjoyment or just sanctuary in parenthood. Just we need we need to be OK with saying that I'm going to do this thing because it's going to help me a little bit more to feel a little bit safer and a little bit happier. And that's what it is. I think to shake off any feeling of, oh gosh, there must be something really wrong with me if I now have to go and talk to a doctor about this. There isn't anything wrong with you. We just need a little support to help to feel a little bit safer. And a yeah. little bit and a little bit less stretched. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and it, it, it really struck just there, Sinead, when you said, how could we not? Because <laughs> it's so, and I remember thinking that when I first read the neuroscientific, you know, literature on the brain changes, I was like, this, I mean, everyone in the world should be talking about this. This is absolutely monumental that our brains change in this way. And how could that not be impacting on our day-to-day -day experience of ourselves and of the world? So yeah, um, you're absolutely right. And thank you so much for 
for using this podcast as such a platform to allow for these conversations to happen. I mean, it's so valuable and so meaningful for, I know, so many um, women and mothers. And and I know even maybe people who are, I know you got a, a fee, some feedback recently from someone who wasn't even on a motherhood mm-hmm. journey, which is just incredible. And I think that's so crucial as well to just to have this out in all parts of society. And I created it because I needed it. You know, I'm just as you both have described, you know, you're you're doing your best work because you are literally in it. You you feel it, you know it, you can identify with it and therefore you can support the patients that are coming to you for this help because you're like, yes, I feel it too. I've studied it. I'm a doctor in it and I feel it. So absolutely. You know, not we, only do I feel it, but I need to talk about it. Yeah. I need for everyone else to talk about it. I need it to be something that's just accepted and, and just understood, you know. Accepted and understood. A wonderful way to wrap up. Thank you both so much for the work that you're doing. I love following your page on Instagram and just it, it just it can just soften my day because it's like that little reminder every so often to just be like, oh yeah, that's what's happening. I remember now why I'm feeling like this. And that's so important too, to help those micro moments to actually be permitted to come up just by seeing some of your posts and helping to explain it in a very soft, normal language that we can just all identify with. No shame, no judgment. Some of this is hard. And for anything else hard in our life, we get help and we get support. So keep doing what you're doing. And I hope Cradle continues to grow and grow and grow. Um, You're doing such a wonderful job. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us, Sinead. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Cradle Psychology for answering our questions. I took so much from this conversation and I hope you did too. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback. So get in touch at at Stretchmarks Podcast on Instagram and follow my guest at Cradle Psychology for more daily support. And I'll talk to you again next week. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.